Hello and welcome to How Many Geese. I'm Jack Baddams. And I'm Roddy Shaw. And if you're looking for a nature podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously... Then we are the natural selection. On today's show... Is your understanding of the insect world bugs life? Yes. <laughs> Entirely. <laughs> Which insect would make the best lover? Six legs is definitely enough. <laughs> yeah. You'll get sometimes at the right time of year, like a little mating swarm. Oh, mating swarm. Now, I don't hate that. The wasp with the second most powerful sting in the world <laughs> is getting a briefing. <laughs> and a helmet. And a helmet. <laughs> now, we've been doing the podcast for over a year now, and I'm pleased to say that the feedback that we get is generally pretty good. However, earlier this year, I got a message from one Ash Whiffin, who said, Although she really enjoyed the show, we were shamefully not giving insects the love that they deserved. Now, Ash works as curator of entomology at the National Museum of Scotland, and not being ones to run from a challenge, we threw the ball back in her court. You want us to talk about how cool insects are? Then how about we come up and see you, and you can tell us yourself. So we packed our bags, hopped on a train, and headed north. <coughs> Okay, we made it. We did. We are in the National Museum's Collection Centre in Edinburgh to meet Ashley Whiffin, who is... I don't actually know your proper job title. <laughs> <laughs> I am Assistant Curator of Entomology. Because you challenged us that we didn't have enough I insect did, content. Yeah. And this is how that gets answered. <laughs> we uh, rock up. shot myself in the foot. In your building. Yeah. Yep. At your place of work on a Monday morning. <laughs> I won't do that again. No. Yeah. yeah, and that's a warning to anyone else. Exactly. Who might, who might want to challenge us anything else in the podcast. But Ashley, tell us a bit about yourself and where we are currently sitting in this amazing room. Yeah, so we are in the Invertebrate Dry Store, which is our main room of activity. It's the kind of hub of activity for the entomology collection. It's where our dry pinned collection is stored. We also have a different room where things are stored in alcohol in the wet collection. Um, but this is the fun bit. This is where we can get loads of drawers out for you today and show you the whole amazing diversity of insects that and we've got. Your job in this room hmm. is to look after them. Yeah. Make things happen. So the collection. The collection doesn't take care of itself. Mm. I mean, that's a kind of strange thing to think about, right? It's a collection mm. of dead bugs. Like, what do you mean? What yeah. do you have to do? Um, but they do require care and maintenance, um, monitoring. We've got to make sure that the environment is nice and stable so they don't start to deteriorate. We've got to keep the pests out. We don't want them devouring the collections. We made it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Past <Oops>. the stringent <laughs> pest control measures. But um, it's also about facilitating access to the collections. So the collection is kind of useless just on its own. We've got to make sure that it's being used um, mm -hmm. and it's open to both researchers, but also the amateur community, to students and to artists as well. We have a whole host of different people coming to use the collections. And on a normal year, it would be like 200 people. We're still mm. not quite back to normal yeah. yet, but 
Yeah. Can we class ourselves in the last category as artists? I was I was <laughs> trying to unpick which one we so, were. Which one we fell into. The options were professional, amateur, and I was like, well, we're in that one. And then you came out with artists, and I was like, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> Educators. Educators. Artists. Artists. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how many insects are in this room? At least a million. So we've got two and a half million insects in the collection, but a lot of those are stored in alcohol, so they'll be in the other room. Um, so yeah, at least a million pinned insects in this space here. But then on that because we are in a big room with a couple other things there are there's coral mollusks all bits and bobs so in the whole room do you know how many items are in here uh not for the room but collection wise so in entomology we sit within the department of natural sciences and natural sciences has 10 million objects and specimens wow. um so half of that no more than half of that six million of that is invertebrates Wow. So entomology is just quite what? a small chunk of the invertebrate collection. You've got to think about all the invertebrates That's in the wild. sea and on yeah. the land that aren't insects. There's a lot. Number of insects described yeah. Yeah. is about a million that we know of. So but the real <laughs> the, the real number is probably, you know, like three times that. Um, 97% of all animals are invertebrates. Wow. 97% of all animals? Mm -hmm. And you've only got 60%. Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I should say that, you know, we're um, National Museum Scotland, so our focus is predominantly on Scottish insects. Oh. Now, our collection is global in scope in that, you know, we've got things from all over the world, but the majority of the exotic collection is historic. So we don't go on lots of expeditions these days. It's just not the funding to do that. Um, but we still occasionally will get donations of collections that contain um, exotic species. Stuff from over the, all over the shop. Yeah. Lovely. And my final question before, because I understand you've got some stuff for us, is do you ever get rid of things? What, what's the threshold? Is it like we've worked out all about that butterfly, that's out? <laughs> no, I mean, for natural sciences, we don't tend to get rid of stuff. Okay. I think unless there was a pest outbreak and you know you lost some specimens that were really, really damaged, um, I can't really think of a reason why we would get rid of something. Um, even if we've got a couple of specimens that have not got data, we would repurpose them for exhibition or education. Okay. Okay. We, we're massive hoarders here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's not like new beetle just dropped. <laughs> old beetle. Make, no. Make space <laughs> no. for the old we beetle. Just, we just grow our storage areas so we acquire expansion space. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, you have no idea what the collection will be used for in the future. You know, collectors in Victorian for times sure. didn't know about DNA, they didn't know that we'd be able to start looking at population genetics using museum collections, they had no idea. So. DNA 2.0, when that gets discovered, <laughs> then all <laughs> of this is coming <laughs> back on the scene. Is that what, when we bring it back? In the whole, in the whole National Museum's Collection Centre, because we're just in a natural sciences building. Ash pointed out to us on our walk in here, there's the plough building. So who knows when we discover plough DNA, what's going to happen there? Oh, I don't know. The dinosaurs are in with the fashion. You know, yeah. whatever in the year 3000, they're going to be looking back like, did they wear this? Or, yeah. <laughs> so you picked some things out I have. for us to look at. Plows. Some plows. No plows. <laughs> to no get plows. to show us the error of our ways in not giving insects the love that they deserve. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Can we have a look at some insects? Hell yeah. Let's go. Well, they're definitely beetles. <laughs> Okay. 
got here? You've got a drawer mm. of burying beetles. Burying beetles. Burying beetles. As in under the ground or a collection of soft fruit? <laughs> <laughs> under the ground. <laughs> so their name is descriptive of their behaviour. They're pretty phenomenal. I should say that these are British species. These ones we get oh, here. Oh, wow. Okay. How many species are in this tray? Five. All UK? Yep. And they're a couple of centimetres? Yeah. A couple of centimetres in size. And they're all, I mean, to say they're different species, they all look, or is this sacrilege, broadly similar? Are you going to be like, no, they're completely yeah, different no. and there's all these? We've got, we've got six species in the UK that all look pretty similar. It's okay. only when you start getting your eye in and looking at some of that detail that you'll be able to spot the differences. But I have a side hustle um, in which I, that is my aim. I help people identify these beetles and with the main aim of trying to get them to help us record them. So beetles is your thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like beetles, your, mm -hmm. that's your, of all the insects. My jam. That's your group. We're on the beetle bus. We're on the beetle bus, yeah. fully on board. So burying beetles, what are they burying? Secrets. So <laughs> <laughs> They're emotional problems, <laughs> past traumas. Aren't we all? Um, <laughs> they are part of nature's cleanup crew. So they are helping to facilitate removal of carrion. So, so this was the one that you got angry at us about for not mentioning. Wasn't it? Was it the burying yeah. beetles? There are a couple of things I got angry <laughs> about, but that's one of them. Jack. So yeah. one of them was when we did the episode. <laughs> oh, we showed up at your work, so <laughs> try us. <laughs> so it was when we did the episode about the reindeer that had been hit by a lightning strike. Yeah. And it had killed them all. And then the Norwegian researchers, who I would like to point out are really the people you should have been angry at. Mm. Um, and there was no mention of burying beetles. Mm. Um, in, as they studied the breakdown of these reindeer carcasses and all the scavengers that came to eat them, they hadn't looked at. What I'm going to say is probably the most crucial bit, or one of the I most crucial. I think it was any carrion insects, wasn't it? I don't think flies were mentioned. No, there wasn't. It was all vertebrates. Classic. Classic researchers. And to think 97% of the planet doesn't have a backbone. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys would be burying bits of meat or whole... whole bodies, whole small bodies. They will go for a mouse or a dead bird and they work together, male and female, will locate carcass and ex um, blah, blah, blah. excavate. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Excavate soil from underneath. If the soil type isn't right, by the way, they will drag it to a location where it is better. Um, hang on. <laughs> what? Like, yeah. When we say not right, not right to dig? Or they've got like soil like testing really... kits, <laughs> like they're amateur gardeners, <laughs> and they're like, exactly. <laughs> this could be terrible for hydrangeas. <laughs> you know, we need to stick a mouse in here. <laughs> <laughs> You said there was a male and female did it. I'm imagining a little cottage situation, you know. Yeah. Well, it's it's almost like that, yeah. Yeah. If the soil was, you know, too dense and, you know, mm. like very clay. Like. But they are not that, like, if you put a, a dead mouse next to them, in human terms, that would be like a human dragging... A whole cow? Yeah. Like a whole cow. Yeah, so I've read that they can move 200 times their own body weight. So they'll drag it and then they'll <laughs> dig a pit into the ground. Mm -hmm. Do they dig like underneath it so it falls yep, down on top exactly, of it? Exactly, yeah. Okay, got you. I thoroughly recommend going onto YouTube and finding some time-lapse videos of these because it's amazing. Yeah. They can actually do this process within a matter of hours and it's phenomenal, but the whole push to do that, to go to all that effort is to avoid competition from other scavengers. Because if you've got something like a nice juicy mm. bird carcass, um, you know, something else is going to be interested in that too. Foxes, yeah. badgers. So you're just trying to get it. Other insects. And then they, 
I don't know if you, I can't remember whether you already said this, but they, they're burying it to lay their eggs on it. Yeah, this is their yummy, yummy food source for mm -hmm. their larvae, but also they kind of make a nest out of it. So they, they are technically non-social insects, and this is a really phenomenal... I wonder why, <laughs> with a pastime like this, I wonder why they don't get invited to more parties. <laughs> um, they have this biparental care, so it's rare that both male and female will invest this amount of time and energy into rearing the young, but it's so effective, it's, it's really incredible. They will not only bury the carcass, they will prepare it, and create this nest underground by nice preparing yeah. it. Yeah, well, funny you say that, Roddy. Are you ready? <laughs> so if it's a mouse, let's imagine we've got a dead mouse. They will have buried it. They kind of mush it into a ball and remove the fur. So they use their really strong mandibles to kind of like shave, shave the carcass. Right. So they've got good contact with the skin there. They then apply their oral and anal secretions, which contain so anti Nigella, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> some lovely antimicrobial properties um, and this will actually help slow down the decomposition it also helps eradicate some of that competition from bacteria and fungi as well um, and it's all about having this lovely like baby food so female has laid eggs in the soil underneath the carcass and when they hatch into larvae they come to the top of the carcass where the parents have made a little crater and a little nest and the larvae sit in the nest and are fed by the parents. Is this making you think of anything? Well, yeah, yeah it's, it's like birds. Yeah, <laughs> but better. Yeah. Um, so they, the parents will feed on the rotting flesh, pre-digest it, regurgitate to the offspring. It's huh. just so sweet. I really like how Ash has immediately thrown the gauntlet down. With, <laughs> Take your birds. <laughs> I have Look a beetle beetles that makes Sorry. a nest out of birds. Yeah. Yep. Out yeah. of dead birds. birds. Dead birds. That's hardcore. Okay, big mm -hmm. fan of the burying beetle. Thank you. Can I ask, and this is maybe, this is less burying beetle, more museum collection. Mm -hmm. Why are some pinned through themselves, I think. Yeah, and some are stuck on like bits <laughs> of card. Is there anything going on there or? Yeah, coleopterists just okay. having a bit of diversity. Okay. So technically there is a kind of process and method that you should follow depending on what your insect group is. So some groups of insects that definitely lean to being pinned as the better method. In the UK for beetles, coleopterists, the people that study beetles, they like things neat and tidy, so they generally would glue them onto small cards. Mm -hmm. And this has the benefits that their antenna and their legs are protected, but it means you can't see the underside. I was say. So on the continent and you know in North America, some entomologists might look at us and think we're a bit strange for doing this because we might be causing more work for ourselves if we can't see the underside characters. Right. So <laughs> a lot of disagreement in the entomological community about how you preserve your beetles. But you, this is just from different collectors, this collection. So you've okay. got a whole host of different methods of preparation. So my last question on that is why did no one think to glue a couple on their backs? When you've got a series and they are potentially a little bit more cryptic, the species a little bit harder to identify, sometimes you'll see examples of that. Wonderful. The burying beetle. On to the next one. Oh, there's any... a lot more that you can say about them. Well, I mean, if there is, then please do. <laughs> so, part, being part of nature's cleanup crew, attracted to dead stuff, what if this carcass is a human? Um, you need more burying beetles. You do. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Will they, will they, do they work with humans? 
Yeah, I mean, they'll work with whatever's there. Is this um, like a problem in hospitals you're going to tell us? The no. NHS is being the foundations again. You're <laughs> burying people just trying to sink <laughs> entire morgues in the NHS. It's the great, that's why the funding is so strapped. <laughs> because the great secret the government's not telling us is they're in an oh, engineering wow. battle with teams of burying beetles <laughs> trying to <laughs> cave out our hospitals. <laughs> So not the direction I was going, but... Um, yeah, that might happen. <laughs> let's think about the use to us, because that's mm -hmm. the only way at the moment we can seem to get people to give a damn about insects, right? Is what yes. is the value to us. Yeah. I hate that. We should just see that there's intrinsic value, just them existing and having their best lives. But they do provide a service. So like the pollinators, getting all that glory mm. for the pollination Fucking services. pollinators, <laughs> The beetles are doing it too. Beetles, blowflies, any insect group that's attracted to carrion is helping and is a part of that process of, of recycling that organic matter. But if it's a human, it's going to provide us with another service as well. Forensic entomology. Oh. So that's how I got into insects in the first place is I studied forensics. Um, I can't quite let this go. I right. still like all the death and yeah. carrying ecology, but yeah, I'm not involved in forensics at all. But it is incredible because if they were attracted to a human corpse, they would act as insect evidence. So they would help in piecing together a timeline so that you could prove how long it's been since death. So with that, do they, you said two of them will work together to bury a small dead thing. Mm -hmm. So when they find something bigger do they do they always have to bury it in order is their behavior so stuck around burying that if it's too big for them to bury i don't quite know what i'm working out here do you get yeah, loads no. of them and they bury a whole human or do they if it's too big for them do they not <laughs> bury it and they just leave it above ground and that's how because i've heard because there's things mm -hmm. like the body farm in the us where yes. depending on the stage the insect is going through you know it's four days to a grub 10 weeks to a this mm -hmm. or whatever and that's how you piece the timeline together. Mm -hmm. So I think after that meandering, I still don't entirely know what my question is, but it's something <laughs> around, they're called burying beetles, but we said humans are too big for them to drag. So then they still will just go for any carrion yeah. out there. So it depends what's available. Mm -hmm. They do prefer to bury because that just secures that resource better. Yeah. But they, there's been research that's shown that they will do communal breeding. So if it's a large piece of carrion, even you know, say it's a, a badger or something, they're not going to be able to bury that. So you'll get several pairs using the resource above ground. But they'll be working on that kind of soil carcass interface. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they must have to have like a concept of the size and mm. like before they, <clears throat> before they undertake the burying they must have to know that this is a thing that they yeah, can... Yeah, absolutely. The female makes this kind of assessment and she will lay roughly the right number of eggs depending on the size of the carcass. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Anything else about burying beetles? They're just great. They are Everyone really great. should love They're them. So Everyone should know how, about how them. How easy are they to see? Like, are they easy to find? Can I find one of these this summer? You could, Jack, yeah. Good. There are and, a number of ways you could go and find them. Can you I could... attract them to me? I reckon I know how this yes. is. Yes. <laughs> Don't die. Um, but it's not me who's going to die. <laughs> it depends how invested you are in I'm this. Invested. Right, as, as of this moment right now, in a week's time, right. when I'm not like faced with a load of burying beetles and your amazing facts, maybe the idea of putting out a dead mouse or something is not going to be as appealing. But right now, I'm ready for... Okay. I'm ready for putting out any dead carrion. Well, yeah, then the best thing I like to do yeah. is put dead stuff out, right? Who doesn't love yes. to do that? Yes. I've got a supply of mice in the freezer. Yes. Um, 
So you can put any rotting meat out. Okay. You could put a bit of rotting chicken oh. out. You could put anything that's going to lure them in. So they are attracted to those scents that rotting, like sulfurous compounds released during decomposition. So they've got amazing sensors on their antenna. They can fly several miles to find this resource and they will, they will get attracted to that. So top I, tip is to mature your bait. <laughs> have it in a warm space let it ripen up a bit so it's really stinky okay. you've got somewhere you can do that uh, I'm gonna, I might have to find somewhere <laughs> that is mature your bait is such a <laughs> fancy way of saying piss everyone else off <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like. um, and then either create a hanging trap or a pitfall trap where you've got this bait in as a lure but then a cup to capture them yeah can show you some diagrams on how to set Great. this up. The yeah. other thing you can do is run a light trap. So lots of these beetles are attracted to light. So people that do moth trapping, moth recording, they'll often encounter these beetles. We don't really know why they're attracted to light. And also interestingly, you know, now we're learning more about how light pollution is impacting insects. It's gonna be really interesting to monitor how it is affecting the beetles as well. So definitely if you're a moth trapper, please you record your beetle sightings. Awesome. The other way to find them is just, you know, flip over any dead animals that you see. And those of us that study them sometimes get called serial flippers. <laughs> Always flipping carcasses. <laughs> I would just like to put in a disclaimer of if you're going to touch carrion, please wear gloves or thoroughly wash your hands. Yeah. That's a good disclaimer. So these guys are in the same family. The family that burying beetles are in are, is the sylphidae. And these guys are not actually carrion feeders at all. They are common snail hunters. <laughs> yep. It's actually really ubiquitous. They most commonly found in woodlands, but also gardens and parks too. Just a small blackish shiny beetle. But yeah, they are pretty, I mean, they're- Nondescript, they're pretty right? Nondescript, yeah. I didn't know whether I was gonna be allowed to say that. Um, but these very much look like your standard beetle, like if you see a beetle, I don't know how common these are, <laughs> but I feel like these look an awful lot like the beetles but I've seen. They've got yeah. very pointy heads. Yeah, good observation. So they're predators mm -hmm. of snails, as their common name indicates, and they will use that little pointy skinny head to access the animal within the shell. So they, their tactics will be to try and bite the foot of the snail snail will then retract into its shell thinking it's all safe. Snail thinks it's nice and safe in there but they're kind of similar to glowworms in that they will release a digestive enzyme that breaks through any defensive mucus that the snail is putting out and starts digesting the mollusk and then the beetle can just use its little narrow head to go and then slurp, slurp up snail soup. We've said before like I can't remember whether it was about things in the sea or whether it was about insects but about about small things like imagine if this stuff happened at the size of yeah. Cheetah, gazelle, all the stuff you've seen on David Attenborough and all that I sort of stuff. I wasn't even at Cheetah and Gazelle, I was like, thinking chinchilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like imagine if this stuff was just more observable. But I guess that's the point, like it is observable. Mm. Like it's all out there for mm -hmm. you to just go and look at, but it's just happening at a really small scale. But the fact that there is a beetle so specified out there that it goes and nips the snail and waits for it to go inside its thing. And it's happening on your doorstep, yeah. right under your nose. Of what we're looking at here, all the little pin beetles, one of them has some wiggly looking thing coming out of it is that doesn't look like it's had a great time no it yeah. 
has been attacked by some kind of entomopathogenic fungus. Whoa. Could not tell you which one. There's not very much information on the label. The specimen is quite old. Came to the museum in 1930s. So, 1930s? Wow. Wow. So to describe it, there is a, there is a small beetle and then coming out the back end of it are two very long strands that are what? Twi at least twice the size of yeah. the actual body of the beetle. And that's a fungus that's like, I guess, cordyceps vibes. There's something like fungi's in a whole other thing. Yeah. If anyone out there researches fungi and works Monday mornings, let us know. We will show up. <laughs> that's cool. I actually didn't start out with beetles. I did like flies first. So in front of you now is a drawer. Doesn't look very impressive, right? It's common it's, blowflies. It's, it's the flies that die up against your kitchen window because they can't get out. Yeah. That's the flies that we're looking at here. Yeah. So you've got uh, one of the most common species. This is Califera vicina, mm -hmm. um, very ubiquitous, even found in the winter months but it has applications in forensic science, which is what made me love it. So like you mentioned, Roddy, about the life cycles being part of how we can use insects to solve crimes. We know so much about their development, like how long it takes them at different temperatures to go from one instar to the next, and to um, therefore provide a really robust timeline in, in murder cases. It's great, but I got the collection out because these collections have an ability to help with forensic entomology despite like our collection being nothing to do with it. So by having loads and loads of information on species distribution, this is gonna help forensic entomologists when they've got a case, you know. Know which species are in exactly, the area and then how exactly. the life cycles can be applied to the investigation. And we've got some pretty funny specimens in this drawer, if you can read what it says yes, on so that one Yes, I was there. just reading this and I wanted to pick you up on it because in the bottom corner of this tray, there is a little, what is that, I don't know, like a little button. And it says written on it in pencil, a splendid example of opportunism in the British aristocracy. Yeah. What's going on here? <laughs> Just former curator's idea of humour. <laughs> the lid is off. The lid's off. The lid is off. I'm going to just pull it out. Oh, there's something in it. Yeah. There's a case. Oh. Okay, so... Hang on, what does it... Spend? Is that collected at Buckingham Palace? Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I'm not sure the reason that the entomologist was there. It's a former curator, Ted Pelham Clinton. But yeah, he used that opportunity to collect a couple of blowflies. In 1964, is that? Is that, am I reading the date correctly? Yep. A splendid example of opportunity. Oh, okay. So he's, yeah, he's gone on a trip to, he's gone on a trip to Buckingham Palace mm -hmm. and he's swiped a fly, yep. basically. <laughs> That's fantastic. Very funny. Something else that's really cool in this drawer is this little maggot. I just noticed him, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's really unusual to see them preserved in this way. Mm hmm Yeah. So, they... most commonly done with caterpillars. Preservation by inflation. Oh, what like are we... Like a balloon. What are we... With air? Yeah. Huh. Special air? I thought you'd like nitrogen, like <laughs> no. something It's a really old yeah. method. Helium. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, just, we store them on the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, but I figured Wait, it could be rude. pieces of string to pull them down. You know when you go into a school gym or something and there's some balloons from someone's birthday party <laughs> just left up there over ages? Yeah. It's that, but caterpillars. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was usually done for caterpillars, not 
not normal really to see it for flies. And it was a technique that would help preserve the immature part of the is life stage. Is it a mouth-to-mouth -mouth sort of situation? Oh, or yuck, yuck. is it a... Yeah, there actually is. Um, so the, the guts would be squeezed out. I'm told that a pencil was rolled down the length of the caterpillar. So you're flattening it? Yep. Right. Oh. Emptying it. Um, and then a small it. small tube inserted um, and someone would steadily blow in to inflate it. This is then p positioned within a glass tube which was heated over a flame or there's different variations. Some had like a specially adapted oven that this would happen in, a small oven. And yeah, heated and, and dried into that kind of fixed what? position. It's like um, glass blowing. Yeah, that's exactly what I like in it. Yeah. yeah. What, have you, what, you, what are you doing with your Tuesday afternoon, Jim? Just blowing caterpillars. <laughs> yeah. Into very small candlestick holders. <laughs> 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 Ornate cutlery. <laughs> Do you know, did you mention that was an older technique? Yeah, it's like, not done anymore. I would love to see somebody do it. But what are we saying, Victorians? Mm. They were mad. <laughs> like, yeah. who even sat down and looked at a load of caterpillars and was like, I bet if I squeeze <laughs> that. <laughs> and then stick a tube in it, <laughs> I could inflate it, and then that'll do, you know. Like, <laughs> it's such a double-edged sword, the Victorians. Like, we've got a lot to thank them for, yeah. but there's so much stuff that we're... That they had just, some real... <laughs> I mean, I'm sure scientifically it's great that we have these, but I don't know, there's some real misfires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Agreed. Caterpillar blowing. <laughs> Have you heard of tortoise beetles I before? Have, I've, seen I've seen them. Way. There's one upside down. Hey! <laughs> and I've never known what they are. So tell us about the tortoise beetle. They have got a few weird and wonderful behaviours. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, they are called tortoise beetles, as their name suggests. They are really good at drawing in their appendages, anchoring down, which helps avoid predation. They really do use their legs to grip down onto the surface of the leaf and it means that there is no way that a predator can get in. Like even an ant couldn't get in and mm. access. Um, because the way their the elytra like, comes so far down would be like a seal. Like, yeah. When it squashes yeah, exactly. itself down onto a leaf, it's just gonna, there's gonna be no point of entry for anything. Yeah. They look like, and I'm doing this to try and paint a word picture, the top of a toilet plunger, the plungy bit with tiny little feet poking out either side. Yeah. And you're saying that they pull it in and yeah. suck the plunger yeah. down, keeps them nice and safe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the adults, they've got that defense mechanism sorted. Yeah. So they're feeding on the surface of leaves. Predator comes along. Mm -hmm. And also they're quite cryptic. So those, a lot of the species that we get in the UK are green or brownish. Now their larvae, most beetle larvae are, you know, very squishy, uh, very susceptible yeah. to predation. So what's their method of defense? Well, they thought poop umbrella. Sure. Right. That's yep. immediately comes to mind. Yeah. <clears throat> Maybe Why the military not? should look at this. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the lava's kind of um, got some spines and stuff on its back, but it's also <laughs> got a telescoping anus that it uses to hold on to its poo. Yeah. Pile it up on top of its back so that from above, it just looks like a speck of muck on the leaf, oh. bit of frass. So predator's not going to see it's there. So it's camouflaging feeding. itself. It's camouflaging itself. As something else. And if a predator does take interest, you can use that telescoping anus, move its little poop shield around. <laughs> it's defended. 
Thoughts, Roddy Shaw. Thoughts are... <laughs> you wish you'd take that one into battle. Never in my days <laughs> have I heard the words telescoping anus. <laughs> <laughs> this is... We're whole, breaking new ground. We're, we're really... Yeah, yeah, we're through the looking glass now of the insect world. <laughs> there is no, no way back. Yeah. That's cool. But it gets cooler with tortoise beetles. I'm sure it does. Another amazing feature of tortoise beetles, there's one you might have heard of called the golden tortoise beetle. I haven't, I'm no. afraid. Oh my goodness. So it is beautiful iridescent gold colour. Gorgeous. It actually changes colour if it's threatened. Well, just a bit unhappy. Really? Yeah. So there's this amazing process whereby the iridescent gold that we see is because of a liquid, a fluid, within the cuticle that's helping with that um, reflection of the light. And it actually kind of sucks it in to little pores and then you're exposing a red colour underneath. So basically when this beetle's angry it turns red. <laughs> and they're Adorable. already quite a cute little thing to yeah. look at, aren't they? They're like a little button and the idea that it just goes bright red like a mood ring yeah. is is so very, 90s. very cute. We have got a tray of Harlequin beetles in front of us. Mm. Have you seen these before? No. Yes. I think in real life. Yes. Have you? Oh, yeah. I'm so insanely jealous. I Where? think if they're what if if I'm right, are they also called longhorn beetles? Yeah, they, a they are a type of longhorn beetle. Yeah. So I don't know if I've said this, but I grew up in Singapore, mm -hmm. and I've definitely yeah. seen things that look like that in Malaysia. You have said that yeah. because you told us the story about when the ants ate your hamster. Oh yeah, they did do that. Yeah, that was a rough day. <laughs> like, <laughs> Talking about carrion and all of that, that was, oh. I've seen that close up. But yes, yeah, I've seen them. So longhorn beetles, there is, there's loads of them. Um, as their name suggests, they have very, very long antenna, not horns. Um, yeah. And actually, harlequin beetles are Central South American. So the one that you saw would have been a different species, but probably looked really, really similar. Okay. The thing that sets them apart from other longhorn beetles is that the males have these crazy long arms. Yeah, so I was going to say, they're almost like spider crab vibes in that yeah. the, the limbs just go out. What's that? There's, there's, so there's one in the bottom right corner here that's legs are maybe twice as long as its body and its yeah. body's already pretty sizable. Mm -hmm. Its body's like the size of my thumb. But it's got, we should, it's got four legs. So it's back two pairs of legs are kind of the size you'd expect Regular. for the size of the body. It's the front two that yes. just go. Mm -hmm. Why the long legs? Do you know, I always thought it was, you know, that competition element again, mm. and it was the long legs really desirable for the ladies, right? Right. But actually, mm. it's the antenna. So they kind of correspond. If the male's got really super long legs, he's got super, super long antenna. And the length of the antenna dictates their kind of territory, like the size of territory they can hold. Oh. So males with the biggest antenna are the most impressive, but they correspond to the arm length. So I think the two must be linked. There's other nice stuff about these beetles though. They've got these little pits on their elytra. So just to be really clear on that, the elytra are the wing cases on the back of the beetle. They're and... hardened shell-like. Yes. Wings, yeah. Shell-like. Oh, so they are wings? Because hmm. they had four wings. pairs, but then the top two... Two pairs, four wings. Two, two pairs, four wings, and the top two are the overlaying... Yeah. Yeah, protective ones. And they've just become opaque and hard and... Yeah. Shell yeah. the wings. It's why beetles are so successful, because of the elytra. Because it keeps the wings safe. Yeah, it keeps their flight wings safe. It also just 
protects them from predation sometimes, but also enables them to move through um, difficult landscapes. Like if you're moving around in the soil, the leaf litter, um, you're nice and protected if your back is armoured. Mm. You can kind of see that they're not totally smooth. There's these kind of crevices and things. Oh, yeah. And they, some folk are calling them like beetle buses. I use beetle bus to describe carrion beetles sometimes, and, and this is linked, I'll tell you why. So the little pits are used by mites, <coughs> and the mites will use the beetle as a form of transportation. What I also learned rec recently is that they also give a lift to pseudoscorpions and things under the wings. Oh, wow. So there's like it's all sorts of other invertebrates hitching a lift on these guys. That's cool. And are they knowingly partaking? Is, it, is this like a sim? Are they getting something back from the pseudoscorpions? I don't know what the beetles get out of it, okay. but it's not detrimental to them. Okay. But the pseudoscorpions so it's, are just... It's a form of foracy. Um, and then this happens with the carrion beetles that we've already talked about, um, with other mites. So quite often when you find a carrion beetle, it's going to have some mites running around on it. Now this relationship is a little bit more uncertain. So for years it was considered to be symbiotic. You know, it's going to help the beetle because these mites predate on fly eggs and larvae. Mm -hmm. So if it's coming down to a carcass and there's any fly... Um, activity there, these mites are going to help eradicate that for the benefit of the beetles. But it's also been shown that these mites can feed on the beetle larvae as well. So the uh, relationship's not entirely okay. clear. Yeah. But I thoroughly love the idea of beetles as transportation methods. They look like if Pixar was picking a thing to be a kind of bus. You yeah, know, they've got a kind of pretty snazzy, chunky head down. I'm sure. See them from the front on. They've got quite nice faces as well. I'm sure there's a bit where there's a big beetle in Bug's Life and it lifts up. Its oh yeah, it's the rhinoceros it, beetle. And the, yeah. the little ants jump yeah. out. Yeah. Is your understanding of the insect world Bug's Life? Yes. <laughs> That's what I'm taking home from this. Entirely. <laughs> It's time for that part of the show where we take one of nature's magnificent creatures and we pit it against Roddy Shaw in a fight to the death. Now today's animal has been quite literally brought to the table for the <laughs> very first time in How Many Geese by Ash Whiffin. And it is, Ash, can you explain what Roddy is, is quite literally faced with as it's sitting <laughs> on the desk in front of it? <laughs> so, Roddy, you are going to battle a tarantula hawk wasp. Right. <laughs> so you're looking at a drawer full of different species at the moment. Several very, very large black wasps, many with iridescent, pretty beautiful wings, actually. One that is my favourite in this drawer, she's a really old specimen. This one in the top left species is Pepsis heros. She's from that founding collection, so she's not in the best of condition. Mm -hmm. So maybe you're going to fight this one instead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is large. <laughs> Still very large. The Latin name is Gigantia. Yeah. <laughs> so these can be about 11 centimetres in length. And as their name indicates, they're parasitoids of tarantulas. So this female will hunt a tarantula. She'll find it, she'll paralyse it, because these are reported to have the second most painful stings in the entire world. Second With only to the bullet ant. The bullet ant being... Yeah. So then she's going to paralyse that tarantula, drag it down into a burrow underground where she will then lay a single egg on the back. Egg hatches into a larva, buries its way into the tarantula where it will feed on the living spider. Right. So obviously total nightmare fuel 
but here we go. Now, so are we saying just this one, or not just this one, but this species, or I really like this one with the purple wings. I mean, I'm, I'm almost no. swept up in how beautiful they you all need are. The big they're one. No, they're the, so the big colorful. One. I can't go for the smaller one. You have no. to find the one that's got the second most painful. Is that, what's his name? Schmidt. Yes, yeah, the Schmidt pain index. Schmidt. Roddy, have you seen a tarantula hawk wasp? I in have. The <gasps> yes. Have you really? I in, think I have as well. In Honduras. Yeah. I've oh, seen them. wow. Yeah. And they are like, you can, you can hear them coming. Yeah. They're like light aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> it's a miracle there's not someone like outside the tarantula burrow with two little paddles just sort of backing them in. Guiding it in. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, when you get stung by one of these, you're only going to be able to take one sting. Yeah. So. Do they have multiple eyes? Right, two. I have multiple eyes, <laughs> but there's two eyes and then there's a collection of... Yeah, ocelli. Okay. The so... ocelli help with vision, but they're very different to the compound eyes at the front. They're okay. more kind of like light detectors. And are they just on the wasps? Nope, there are several insects that have them. Several insects that Several have insect them. groups. Okay. Okay, talk us through your thought process. Let's start with terrain. The terrain. How... Are they slow flyers? I imagine they're pretty quick, aren't they? They're yeah. Gonna, yeah, right. But they are small. I mean, it's still massive, but again, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Horse um, size. Yes, exactly. If this was horse size, I would bury myself and die. <laughs> um, right, I think the moment one of them gets to me, I feel like that's it. Well, the moment the second one gets to me, because the sting can't kill you, but I bet two, it's like incapacitate. two yeah. is, one incapacitates, and once you're incapacitated, then two and above yes. all come and sting you. So you have to make it past at least two, because two stings and you're dead. But at the same time, very, very small, but very, very fast. How good are they in strong winds? <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of flying insects really struggle with strong winds yeah. and, okay. and rain as well. And rain. Okay. Interesting. We have just had some very big storms in the UK. We mm. have. Storm Eunice. Storm Eunice. <laughs> Does this fight take place in Storm Eunice? I don't know because one of the other things with the storms is it does then mean that lots of trees fall down and yeah. whilst the wasp can't... <laughs> immediately kill me yeah. a whole tree yeah. <laughs> could so i need to engineer wind <laughs> how do i engineer wind oh fans fans big fan one big fan yeah one massive fan <laughs> wind machine yeah but really content okay right ash have you ever been skydiving no okay thought about it <laughs> Because you can try it at the indoor skydiving things. Have you ever seen them? <laughs> My dad's done one of those. Yeah. Your dad's got one? My dad's done one of those. Oh, I thought you said he's got one. I was like, I didn't realise you could just buy just like a whole building. No, um, no. Yeah. So I'm thinking that, and I'm going to somehow sit at the bottom of it, and then any wasp which comes in gets blown up to the top. <laughs> so... We're now approaching not an immediate... Yeah? The wind's going to, like, how are you going to sit at the bottom of it and not be blown up? By the, I will wear 
aerodynamic clothing. <laughs> well, just like skin tight lycra. Yep. So, so, so the wind cycling suit. cuts around me. Okay, great, excellent. Imagine the opposite of a flying squirrel. Yes. That. Just naked. Just a squirrel. A, <laughs> a burying squirrel. Yeah. Right, so I'm in, yeah, my, my Tour de France gear. Yeah. Um, sat at the bottom of one of those giant wind tunnels. And are they coming, are the tarantula hawk wasps coming from above? Well, they can't. They have to come... They have to come in through the door. They come in through the door. And the man lets them out. So they're on paying entry. Helmeted up. <laughs> Puts on their safety. Gives them the, gives them the health and safety tool. Gives them the briefing. Lets, lets them in the same door. Opens the door and is like, on you go. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's waiting for you. Yeah. you know? Okay. The gentleman will see you now. Yeah. So they've all got their safety briefing. That, they've even now got extra armour on if they've all got a tiny little helmet yeah. on That's them. That's true. God, maybe this has backfired. Um, I've actually found a way to make myself end up in skin tight lycra and the wasp. <laughs> the wasp with the second most powerful sting in the world. It's getting a briefing. <laughs> and a helmet. And a helmet. <laughs> and I'm two millimetres up from nude, having skipped the briefing. So, um, but fear not, because my ally is the wind. Yes. Um, which I've always said. <laughs> if you know anything about me, it's my ally is the wind. So, um, right. The wasps are coming in. They're not going to do good. They're going to get blown to the ceiling. I actually think we're now entering cubic meters of wasp because they come in and get blown up and then it's stuck up there. Mm -hmm. I'm just basically lying at the bottom. It's almost like a reverse limbo situation where they're just wasps are steadily <laughs> gonna pile up, up on each other, <laughs> coming lower and lower and lower yeah. until that final one stings me yeah. and then I die. Yeah. Well, the final Two. one, final one sting, it stings me. I'm lying down, it stings You're me, I go, sit up into it oh, okay, and then right. I'm sitting up into a column of tarantula horse <laughs> and then it is a total checkmate and on then my... you are suing the wind tunnel company for <laughs> yeah. all their work and also asking so just get the briefing asking serious <laughs> questions about where they got all the wasp helmets <laughs> so brilliant it is cubic meters of wasps until one stings me and then total game over mm -hmm. so it's more a um not necessarily a fight, it's prolonging the inevitable. It's yeah. how can I prolong the inevitable as much as possible. So and that is a wind tunnel in spandex. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the visuals. <laughs> this has come in from Matheson Wildlife, Archie Matheson, who is in his Instagram an aspiring entomologist. Aww. Yeah, so that's nice. Um, and we have this kind of question quite a lot. And it's always about scaling insects up. Mm. And we've never answered it. This is a question that I've had quite a lot that I've always filtered through. And it's like, which insect would you scale up to be the size of X, Y, Z? Oh, right. Archie's question is along those lines, but a bit more specific. So here it goes. You're riding into battle. <laughs> Lord of the Rings style. Yes, this is my dream. What insect are you riding in on and why? I like Archie already. Arch oh. Archie's hit it out of the park here. I think immediately we need to consider what traits make a good animal to ride into battle on. And then we can work the insect into that. Yeah. So speed, or if it's not fast, it's got to be Tanky. Tanky. 
Thank you. I mean, there's just one that's springing to okay. mind instantly, and that's got to be a tiger beetle, right? Because it's got speed and brutality. Its okay. mandibles are fierce as hell. It's going to be an tiger excellent defender. Tiger beetle is an insane shout. Yeah, actually, straight off the bat. Hit this, the is what, running. this is this is the problem when we now start doing these questions with professionals. Is we spend like. <laughs> Ten minutes working through all this <laughs> before we finally we finally land on the best one. We come to someone who actually does this as a job, and they've just like answered the question straight away. But yes, if you if you don't know what a green tiger beetle is, then then Ash. they are yeah. Tell us on. about green tiger, yeah. tiger beetles. Yeah. So green tiger beetles is one of the species that we get in in Britain and Ireland. Um, it is green, as the as the name says, and it's part of the family that are super, super, super speedy. They're kind of like the cheetahs of the insect world. So they go so fast that their vision turns off. They just can't process. Okay. So they that... dart from like place to place. So maybe that's actually <laughs> not great yeah, right. about so, <laughs> but... so let's circle back to Archie's question. I'm going to hope this field has no obstacles. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're super successful. I mean, they're amazing predators. So this tactic works for them. So they must, yeah. So they it must might find. be a really good tactic to navigate battlefield. Or Imagine if the Grand National, which ethics aside or whatever, but all the horses took off and then immediately became blind, ploughing <laughs> 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 like, through actual hedges. So they move faster than their eyes work. Can keep up with you. There's a whole family of tiger beetles, yeah. isn't there? Do they all have this trait, or is it just the green one that's particularly fast? Oh no, yeah, it's all of them. Okay. They, they all kind of have the same body plan: super long, spindly legs to. So, okay. Did you mention if they're in the UK? Yeah, we yeah. have a few species. We have a few species. Fantastic. And how big are they in the UK? How big do we have some? It's like one and a half centimetres to two centimetres. One and a half centimetres centimetres. Two centimetres. What's the but biggest in the world? Oh, I don't know. We could go raid the collection and I can <laughs> show you. That's why we're here. <laughs> right. So to start, here is the green one. Two centimetres, would you say? Yeah. Okay, they are cool. I have my first question. Yep. They're called tiger beetles. Mm -hmm. They're spotty. There are famously spotty big cats. What's happened here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who decided to give them the common name. Um, there are some that are stripy, so the, the, the name was not going to have been based on this one species that occurs in Britain. It would have been the one that, you know, was the representative for the for the family. Fantastic so counterpoint. These okay. are kind of stripy looking. Yeah, so there's some ones that are black with like yellow, yeah, more stripes yeah. across them. This one the has its wings open. You, you can ride into battle on something that can run really fast and they are ferocious predators, but they can also fly. So how big would you scale it up to? Horse size? Oh yeah, like absolutely. Pony size or? Horse size. No, horse. horse full, yeah. We're going, everything's getting scaled horse. Full horse. Full, full yes. horse, okay, full horse. <laughs> Your classic full horse. <laughs> But maybe the biggest tiger beetle, we don't know how big that is. Small dog. <laughs> that, that might already be of the size. Is this whole tray tiger beetles? Mm -hmm. They're tiger beetles? Yeah, they're in the same family. The big black ones? Mm -hmm. They're huge. <laughs> I don't think they need scaling up at all. That's like a really angry conker. <laughs> yeah, so that, <laughs> that's basically the size that they are. Their jaws, they look big enough that it could hold a conker. It's yeah. massive. And they are armoured. That's the other thing about beetles, isn't it? Yeah. That, it has to be a beetle, regardless of whether it's a tiger beetle or not. Yeah. It's got to be a beetle. But the tiger beetle's got the speed. 
Tiger Vehicles is a strong opening shout, and that's pretty much all we've spoken about so far. It is. Any other suggestions? Was the question invertebrates? From the floor. No, it was insects. Insects. Right. Because I was going to come in with the most... Because if you've got a spectrum of speedy, as you said, speedy and lithe, yep. to armoured and tanky, yep. broadening it out to invertebrates, at the slow but tanky end, yeah. massive snail. Right. Yeah. That wasn't met with overwhelming support. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By neither of us, I'm going to say. <laughs> just big and tanky. Yep. And slow. It's but just... It's fleshy. It's so fleshy. vulnerable. The orcs are just chucking some salt, salt on Salt, yeah. Game, yeah. game over. Sauron's just trebucheting a load of salt on it. Rock crystals. <laughs> game yeah. over. Okay. And then at the other end of speedy, yeah. I had dragonflies. Oh, that's a good one. Big dragonfly. Yeah. Big, big old dragonfly. Because also remember, they've got the was it the Nazgul on the big snaky yeah. headed Yeah. yeah. Nice. And then a massive dragonfly, dragonfly. aerial battle. Come How on, big horse sized dragonfly. Ho uh, two, three. So dragonflies dragonflies are the one that were huge. Back in the day, why were insects bigger than they are now? This is to do with the oxygen content in okay. the air, right? So they breathe through the spiracles, little holes along the sides of their body. Okay. And it's basically a process of diffusion. So they are restricted. They they can't breathe in. With the higher oxygen content then, the more oxygen's gonna diffuse into like the middle bits. So mm -hmm. your insects can become bigger. Yep. I definitely saw a documentary a number of years ago where there was a lab which had grown yeah. successive generations of insects in enclosures yeah. where they'd up the oxygen level and they were getting bigger than yeah. was like that's feasibly wild. possible if they basically let them out the tank or whatever. In fact, if they let them out the tank, maybe they died. What? I don't know. But they were grown in like okay. super oxygen concentrated air because yeah, it's literally just the, the oxygen needs to diffuse into the middle of the insect. Mm -hmm. If there's only so much oxygen in the air, there's only so far in it can go. Right. You jack the oxygen levels up, there's more oxygen to diffuse further and further into the insect, the insect can get bigger. Huh. That's what's happening there. Big mm -hmm. horse-sized dragonfly. But uh, not like the dragonfly is very long and thin. Yeah. Famously, we know this. So the body, the head, the bit I'm sitting on needs to be horse. Because what I'm saying <laughs> is if the whole dragonfly <laughs> is yeah. as long as a horse, yeah. the bit I'm sitting on where would you say it? Is like a big basketball or something. I think you've got, you, you've got your legs either side of the head. But dragonflies have like the eyes mm. that go all the way onto the... So are you going to restrict yeah, the vision of the dragonfly? Yeah, their head is pretty much just eyes. Yeah. yeah. So I can't sit there. Oh. So, so the you dragonfly has... The it has to be like three horses long for the first bit to be horse <laughs> enough to sit on. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right, okay, I'm Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because if you just made it horse size. If you size, just made it horse <laughs> size, the bit you're sitting on is only going to be like a big basketball. Yeah, I've got you. So for the dragonfly to be sittable, it has to be about four horses long. Right. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. my the classic horse dragonfly <laughs> conversion. <laughs> okay, dragonfly is a good one. Yeah. Is there anything else? I had another thought. Yeah. I, I strongly feel like I need to say a beetle. Yeah. And I do think tiger beetle is the best. I think yeah. But there are some flies that would be quite good. Okay. After you saying dragonflies and thinking actually, yeah, something yeah. that can get up in the air yeah. would be a good advantage. So what about something like a robber fly? Because they're pretty badass predators. Tell us about the robber fly. Well, some of them are quite big. Some of them are like a, you know, four inches or so. Uh, four inches? Four, four inches? I was like... <laughs> four four <laughs> centimetres in or so in length. oxygen-rich air of Edinburgh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so there's one that we get in Scotland called Lafriaflava. It's like the bumblebee mimic robber fly. Okay. Um, and it is, yeah, about an inch in length. 
badass predator in that it can attack its prey, catch it midair, and stick its piercing mouthparts in and suck out the juices and throw away the husk. Oh, while so, it's flying. Yeah. Oh. That would be quite good. That's quite good. And quite comfortable to ride because they're quite furry, so. <laughs> Yeah, this, nice. this was a strong pitch. One of the most terrifying things I've ever heard. <laughs> um, so they, like, you, you're, you're, what do they, what, what, sorry, one more time. <laughs> they, other flies, they, anything in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that could, so if they, that goes, if that was, well. if we supersize that, yeah. what are we unleashing upon, <laughs> upon the world? If that was horse size, I feel like light aircraft are in danger. <laughs> <laughs> it can just pierce them and drain mm -hmm. them. Rubber flies are great shout. So, robber flies, dragonflies, tiger beetles, definitely not butterflies, everyone laughed at snails. <laughs> Jack? <laughs> yeah, um, you've been quiet. I have been quiet, haven't I? Yeah. What about your true bugs? They've all got true piss, bugs. piss on the A pissing. shield bug? Yeah. The name there alone. Go. There we go. <laughs> Lord of the Ring-esque. Yeah. You could ride on one of the animals that we've spoken about while holding another, holding a shield <laughs> bug like literally doing it's what it's named after is and then what's the weapon going to be well is there a sword bug <laughs> no but uh, i guess you bug. could use a couple of stick insects <laughs> brilliant <laughs> it's all coming together <laughs> we're on a tiger beetle or dragonfly yeah. armed with a shield bug in one arm and an assortment of stick insects in the <laughs> You could get really spiky stick insects, yeah. wouldn't you? That oh, mimic you thorns and all yeah, sorts. Nice. So you'd have like some sort of sword-mace hybrid Yeah. that you could just be swinging at orcs. Yes, yes. And then as a final roundup, any other worst ideas? I, I, think, like a, I think snail I think pretty a close. grasshopper because your back might break whenever it like... Yeah. Although grasshoppers, thanks to a bug's life, <laughs> I've always got mean. I've got yeah. I've got. I'm a bit. I'd be routed by oh. an army of grasshoppers coming at me. Yeah. Because I'm a bit scared of them. Mm. Thanks to Hopper. Hopper on a bug's life. I just thought that anything in its immature stage would be a bit rubbish, but then you've got some massive beetles like the Hercules beetles or Goliath beetles. Their larvae are freaking massive, yeah. and they've got hefty jaws on them, and actually quite often bite people, so they? They, they might be quite good. Don't but, they live in rotten wood? Yeah, they could come out for a bit. <laughs> do they, can, but, but can they, do they move much? Yeah. Uh, what speed are <laughs> like you charging into just, like, flops the armies of Mordor okay, so on the back of a Goliath beetle larvae? <laughs> I think we've cracked it. I think it's dragonfly slash green tiger beetle with a shield bug and a spiky stick insect. Yes. Okay, we've had a question in on Instagram from Daniel Jackson, who wants to know, very simply, which insect would make the best lover? Oh, <laughs> what? Now, yes. Daniel has provided a bit oh, of no. framework here by saying, was just thinking, some have more legs, hands than others to do more stuff. Some can probably bend in different ways. Could you elaborate on that? Everyone's looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> well, can I say an immediate no? Yeah. Praying mantis. Yep. Unless. Well, you're the female. This is this is this oh. is so. Oh. Right. The dynamic is changed. <laughs> this is great because yeah. Yeah. Because. I've honestly never heard this question before. Jack and I. I don't know if we said this 
on a recording or if it's only ever an off mic note, but it's now either about to become on mic or be edited out, but that if anyone were to line them all up and listen to them all, you'd be able to piece together a very interesting psychological profile <laughs> because we've done the sexiest animal, which was the secretary bird. We've said other bits and bobs along the way. Yeah. And now we're being thrown into which insect would make the best lover. Yeah. So I don't know how much of a peek behind the curtain people are about to get. <laughs> <laughs> into more of our <laughs> psyches yep. but also a hell of a dynamic in having of course Ashley join us who is coming at this from a very different angle certainly with the insect world as we already mentioned the praying mantis yeah terrible from our side perhaps not as bad from yours I don't know yeah and the final bit is we've all just met <laughs> so <laughs> let's go <laughs> I love insects but I don't love don't insects yeah 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 okay so let us consider oh. what's not going to be good. Praying mantis. Where to begin? Depending <laughs> if you're a male. Well, let's have a look around. What have we got here? Butterflies. What do we think? What do we think about butterflies? I'm putting them. So before we sort into any kind of detail, yep. they're on my. There's an immediate no list. Yeah. And then there's like pending further mm -hmm. okay. intel. The butterflies are on the pending further intel. Second date. Butterf <laughs> yeah. Butterflies for me yeah. immediately give off more style than substance vibes. Mm. Yep. yep. Like that, that yep. you go that hard, like to look that good. I'm not sure. That's true. But they also, they're not bitey. <laughs> <laughs> they're not, they've they're got, not bitey, they've got they're got not long, stingy. They've got a long tongue, proboscis vibe going on there. Here we go, something's happening. Like what's going on there? Nothing with a telescopic anus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> the larvae of a tortoise beetle yeah. is off the record. Aww. Off the yeah, all larvae are off the record. Yeah. This is a <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's true. So we don't need to make this any weirder. I know exactly. So centipedes are on my immediate no. Yes, they're not insects. They are invertebrates. This is true. Yeah. Okay. Too many legs. Six legs is definitely enough. Six, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. There's a, there's a ceiling on it now, isn't there? Yeah, I was thinking. Oh, well. Don't need any more than six mm. legs. Oh, what about what about the uh, you know the frog-legged beetle we looked at earlier? Oh. Thick thighs is all the thing. There's a thick-legged flower beetle, isn't there? Yeah. They've got the pizzazz. They've got the pizzazz. Bit more substance than a butterfly. Way more substance than a butterfly. Substance than a butterfly. <laughs> Way more substance than a butterfly. I don't care how long its tongue is. But they I'm, are a bit bitey, Roddy. They oh. are a bit bitey. I'm just. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Do you know the tortoise beetles? They they've got a certain. No. There was a golden one, but. And the, the... changes colour depending on the mood. mood. Oh, oh. Hello. <laughs> hello. Now what box have we just unlocked here? <laughs> Would you want to know that though? Would you want? Sometimes mm. it's nice if it's being faked and you don't actually, <laughs> and you don't actually know. Do you want... There's a lot the, I am loving this so much. Do you so want much. the entire body to light up depending on how it's yes. feeling? Yes. <laughs> oh, communication is key. Communication is key. What, what's our thoughts on grasshoppers? Oh, no. No. Ash had an instant. Ash had an instant, though. No. Why? <laughs> what know, was... I guess my head went to bug life. Hopper <laughs> <laughs> was no. He was mean. Yeah, he'd be all take, take, take. Yeah. No. There'd be no reciprocation of anything from Hopper. Also, from his legs were very spiky. Yeah. Mm. Like. Don't want that. What's soft? Bees. How do we feel about bees? 
Queen B. Queen B. <laughs> queen, there's a lot of pressure with a Queen B, though. Isn't like, you've got to deliver if you're with yeah. the Queen B. <laughs> she's quite high maintenance. Yeah, she's very high maintenance. Is there like a silky beetle? There's this little hairy guy here. Hairy <laughs> and silky, not necessarily the same guy <laughs> I was thinking of. This is not one we get in the UK, but it's one of the like flower scarabs. Oh, the scarabs. What about scarab beetle? Very sexy. Very sexy. Yeah, the scarab beetles are very colourful and lovely. But are we are we just looking in this tray at males and females? Do we know? Is it just a one? Yeah, there's a mixture in there's there. A, there's a whole mixture. Are the scarabs equally as colourful males and females? Yes. Great. Scarabs are... Scarabs. Please, everybody. Scarabs are contending. There's no sex bias there. Mm-hmm. No matter I like what you do. A scarab yeah. beetle is yep. delivering. It's delivering. Whereas things like butterflies and things, they're often like males can be nicer than females or... I know, I know we've critiqued the butterflies. Something about moths? I don't know, because they're like a butterfly, but night. Does the that make them less night. showy? Not all moths. We've got some yep. day flyers. No, for sure. Hummingbird hawk moth. Hummingbird hawk moth is a bit, like, it's a bit high energy. That's a lot. Like keeping yeah. up with that. <laughs> yeah. Like, just come on. Doesn't have to be full speed all the time. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to take it slow. Sometimes, uh, yeah, right, come on. Do they, you know you were telling us about burying beetles and their... That they... Get, oh. That they like courtship, oh, not courtship, but is no, there anything that has a courtship? Well, there is. The, oh, God, you open that can of worms, there's loads of courtship that goes on in the insect world. Uh, with the burying beetles, the male actually... <laughs> takes up the special position uh, on top of on top of dead mouse or sometimes even before he's found a carcass Not quite that. Um, <laughs> sticks his butt in the air and releases pheromones right to lure the lady in <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah there's Should that we... and I can't remember if this is a real fact or just something me and my friends used to say in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> they have the the um, stridulation oh no it is, a, it is a fact burying beetles have three types of stridulation Great. So I mean, this sounds great for this question. So Three types yeah. of stridulation. They produce the stridulation with the hairs on the underside of the elytra rubbing against yeah. the little stridulatory file on the abdomen. And we can't detect the subtle differences here. Mm -hmm. But there is a courtship stridulation, there is a defensive stridulation, and there is the call to the larvae stridulation. So, yeah, I mean, the male is whacking out some serious pheromones yeah. and he's playing her a lovely tune. Oh. So. That's quite romantic. There we go. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. On the opposite end of the spectrum to the hummingbird hawk moth, which is just all the time, is there something that takes a bit more time, a bit more care? So, like a burying beetle. Although, they're too good at burying bodies. I don't want to have sex under a dead mouse. <laughs> <laughs> what about on top? <laughs> well, well, in that case, buy me dinner. <laughs> the last sort of insect group I want to touch on is flies. Because you hit us with robber flies, mm. which was great. What's going on with flies and courtship and potential lover situation? There's a lot of gift giving in some groups. Right, okay. You'll get sometimes at the right time of year, like a little mating swarm. Um, oh, mating swarms. Now, I don't hate that. <laughs> going to the club. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if you're into <laughs> Um, so what the males will do is they'll catch some prey, um, you know, to look, look what delicious treats I can provide you with. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, Tasty treats. But some males have been a bit sneaky to 
rather than going out and catching their own, they just steal the other males. They steal the other males' treats and then give it to their mm. female. Mm. That's not cool. No, don't like that. But and there's some that kind of like wrap it in a, is it a silk or something? I can't remember. But they will wrap the prey item in this piece so that the female is busy eating and unwrapping this whilst the male is copulating with her. Right. That, I did a complete 180 on that story <laughs> when you were like, yeah, so the male gets them a really nice present. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, then you're like, and when she's distracted, <laughs> he fucks her. <laughs> gets the job done. <laughs> I was like, yeah, maybe we found it. No, no, hard no. Dragonflies? Oh, there's all sorts of horrible stuff going on with Odonata. So dragonflies and damselflies, there's like piercing of eyeballs and... Oh, my God. Yeah. Very goth. Claspers and... Very BDSM. No one's that BDSM. No one's that BDSM. <laughs> Piercing like eyeballs. <laughs> Nobody. Okay, yeah. That's... Mm, I far. think the best we might have so far... I like a burying beetle, although it's although the, the actual dead body unnerves me a little bit. Um, dual scarabs. Jewel scarabs are very pretty, Some very nice. Don't seem to be doing anything approaching eyeball piercing or farting on the top of a dead mouse or shagging you while they've given you a gift. So from what we know of scarab beetles, yeah. it's, you know, safe. a good time for everyone. I feel like this is a question we could sit and mull on, mull on. probably all day. Yeah. Preferably with alcohol. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a question. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to that special episode of How Many Geese. Now, we had an amazing time up in Scotland and a big thank you to Ash and the National Museum of Scotland for allowing us to go along and record an episode. Taking How Many Geese on location, on migration, if you will, to meet cool people and see cool nature is something that we'd really love to do more of. So this is our shameless shout out. If you're a listener and you have something that you think would be cool for us to come and look at, then please do get in touch, whether that be somewhere you work, somewhere you live, anything you might think might be quite fun for us to come and have a look at then please do let us know if you have the biggest collection of rhinos in surrey <laughs> if you have the largest budgie in herefordshire if you've got more goldfish than whatever the next person with the biggest amount of goldfish that's the sort of stuff we're looking for we don't know exactly how to pitch this but we're going to be completely honest if you have got or are connected to or any kind of really awesome stuff we'd love to take this on the road more and get a bit of a look at it that yeah. would be amazing um ash was so fantastic inviting us up to edinburgh we had a wonderful time at the museum and everyone we met and we just want to see if there are more options out there basically yeah. this is a fairly grassroots affair if you've got big grassroots yeah. <laughs> show us them <laughs> so yeah that's pretty much all yeah let thanks. us know thanks everyone bye